Adam and Steph live down in the Chicago area. Um, I get a phone call saying, hey, Dad, I'm available next weekend. <laughs> We've been going through this dance for years, and I enjoy it. I, I let him twist my arm, and then we say, okay, let's do this. <laughs> but it's good to have you here, Adam. Lord bless you. Super excited to speak today. When I was in college, I would just tell him that I wouldn't come home if unless he let me speak, and then mom would make him let me preach. Now I bring grandkids home, so it kind of works out for him too. It's a little easier. Um, like he said, I live down in Chicago with my wife, our family. We have three boys, Gabe, Nolan, and Henry. Gabe and Nolan are four. They're twins, and um, they're crazy. One thinks he's a Power Ranger. The other one doesn't know quite what he is, but he's leaning towards a fireman this week. Henry just likes being Henry, and he is uh, one. So he's, again, it's, it's pretty exciting with sports and everything else just uh, going on. A, a few months ago, our pastor down in Chicago started a series called Jesus Is, and each week we looked at different attributes of God, and we looked at things like Jesus is the good shepherd, or Jesus is enough. Um, and he asked me to speak one of, one of the weeks, and I, I spoke on Jesus is hope. Um, and this is kind of a theme that I've been uh, focusing on for a couple of years, or uh, something that I've really been saying, speaking over my own life. Um, so as soon as he asked me to preach, I knew that I wanted to, to speak on this. But then when I started trying to put a message together, I realized I have no idea what hope actually means. Like, I say Jesus is hope, and I know that I've experienced this thought that Jesus is hope, but what does that actually mean? What does that look like, and what does that feel like? And, and, and part of the problem is that hope, or the word hope, is a horribly broad word, right? So you can have hope be something really simple like, you know, a couple of years ago, I really hoped that the Blackhawks would win the Stanley Cup. And they're in, hey, hey, we won, you didn't, tough luck. <laughs> Beat you guys in game seven, I believe, to cross out the Red Wings, right? But, um, you know, and it's like two minutes left, game six. And I'm like, you know, they've, they've often scored in the last two minutes. I had hope that they would score the school, and sure enough, they do. Then 17 seconds later, they throw in the closer and win the Stanley Cup. But, I mean, that's kind of cheesy, you know. So I, I have, you know, hope that my boys will grow up loving Jesus and that they will grow to be men of God. So I have hope that, and that's a little more serious. Um, in the midst of crisis, we experience hope. Our, our worship pastor shared the week before I did on, on this message down in Chicago and shared a little bit of her story and this spring, her and her husband, George, who George is our, our youth pastor, um, they lost their baby girl at 37 weeks along. She was full term, and, and they were getting ready. And one day, she just said, oh, something doesn't feel right. And they went into the hospital, and they couldn't find a heartbeat. And she had to walk through the process of, of delivering the baby and you know, the funeral and everything else. And, and yet, she, they've had this tremendous sense that Jesus is their hope, and they've placed it in there. And, so when you're, you're talking about things, you know, it's, it's this really broad definition of hope. And, and so by, I kind of want to start by, like, let's look at what hope actually means. And then let's take what hope means and put it into the context of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do for today's message. 
So hope can be defined as a few things. One is a person or thing in which expectations are centered. Um, to look forward to with desire and reasonable confidence. To believe, desire, or trust. And so I, I want to keep, these, these were all from like the dictionary. So these are you know, straight out of the world that we live in. These, these are what hope means to, to the world around us, to the people that around us. But I, like I said, I want to kind of keep it in, in context of Jesus. And so I, I tried to come up with a way to tie Jesus into hope, and I did it through this. When Jesus died on the cross, hope was presented to humanity in the form of eternity. In the person of Jesus, in the context of Jesus, hope is totally defined by the fact that when we pass on from this life and we go into the next life, that we will be able to stand with the person of Jesus and live eternity with him. If we don't have that hope, if we can't put our hope in that, our faith is meaningless. That is the core of everything that we believe, is that we have hope that when Jesus came to earth and he interacted with humanity, he gave us hope for eternity. So that is, is really how I want to, to focus on this, and kind of that gives you some context for how this is going to look over the next half hour or so. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence for what we hope for in assurance about what we do not see. No doubt, as you stood in here this morning worshiping with us, as we did this corporately, we didn't see God standing up here, but we could very much feel the presence of the Lord in this place. And we were experiencing God in that. And that, those moments give us the confidence in what we hope for, in the confidence for that eternity. Um, my dad became the pastor of this church about 12 and a half years ago. And I have experienced the Lord in this building so many times, literally dozens and dozens of times. And those experiences have given me hope that even when I'm in seasons of life when seems, things seem bleak and it's, it's stressful and I don't know what's going on and the, the word of the Lord feels distant and it's like I feel like I'm just praying to an empty room that nobody's hearing this and I'm like, what is going on? That I can refer back to those experiences. When I was in high school and college, I hoped that I would marry somebody who was hot. I did. And I met her right back there. I'll never forget it. It, it was like, you know, we, I, I knew her sister, and her sister Amy is like, hey, Adam, this is my sister Steph. And I'm like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. That's all it was. And a couple months later, we hung out in a group, and then a couple months later, a couple weeks later, really, we were engaged. Surprise. And, you know, you have this hope that, like, man, I hope that I don't marry somebody crazy. She's not. She's actually very smart. And, you know, this might surprise some of you, but I've never actually seen Jesus. Believe it or not. You know, and that's where we go back to that verse in Hebrews. We don't see it. We don't experience it. But yet we have this hope centered in something. And whether it's something like, Boyhood dreams or something like our faith. 
that hope is very real and relevant to your daily life. One of the things that I, I want to talk about, and this is, is really important, is, you know, so we've kind of got this defined now. We've kind of worked through what hope means and given some context to it. But without Jesus, the, the hope of what we're talking about today doesn't really matter. So we need to talk about hope prescribed. Because the world was in desperate need of hope. It was in desperate need of hope. And so God prescribed Jesus to the world to give him that hope. He was the remedy to, to the sickness. John 3.16, undoubtedly most of you know that, if not all of you. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have, ever have eternal life. And verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Before the time that Jesus was given to the world, the relationship between God and humanity looked very different. And it was more of a mindset of condemnation. So when God interacted with humans, it was very often in the form of wrath and, and retribution, and you will pay for this because you've done this. And when he interacted with the nation of Israel, if you, you read through it, they go in and out of captivity several times, a whole country enslaved because of the way that they live their lives. When they're living good, he's protecting them. When he's not, he removes his hand of protection, and they experience incredible hardships. Yet Jesus was a, a total paradigm shift to that. All of a sudden, it's not so much what's going on in the moment, but it's again looking towards the future of saying, this is the hope that you have the opportunity to experience for the future. And one thing that as, as you've been, you know, maybe as you read through the Gospels and you read through the life of Jesus, is that, he was the master of addressing the need of the people that he interacted with. He was, a, he was perfect at it. And, and that's what he did so well. It wasn't that he just could do miracles, it's that he did the right miracles. Or it wasn't that he just could like, speak life over someone, but he spoke the right kind of life over someone. You see, Jesus provided hope those in the that he interacted with by addressing the need that they had. It wasn't this big corporate thing of saying, okay, there's 3,000 people in this crowd. Most likely somebody's got this ailment, so now I can address that. But it was actually looking at the individual and seeing the, the need that they had in their life and their heart and addressing it. I've been chewing on this concept over the past few months. Um, I have a Bible study at my house called Beer, Brats, and Bibles. And it involves all of those three glorious things. And so we talk about Jesus, we grill some meat, um, and, and we just have a good time. But one of the things that we've been going, so we've been going through the epistles lately. So we started in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, um, and so on. And we kept noticing this theme, even in just these books, that, you know, as we would start talking and we then we'd kind of exit out of those books and start pulling in other concepts of faith as we're discussing them, we kept saying, man, Jesus, like, here he is with this person, and he just so gets it. A few examples. In the book of Matthew, little children come to Jesus, and his disciples try to send them away. 
And Jesus knows, like, these kids don't need him to heal them. So he says, come sit on my lap. Like, let's hang out. They just wanted to see the cool guy. And, and that's exactly what he did. The Apostle Paul, he was on the road to Damascus, and, and as he's riding his horse, Jesus appears to him and knocks him off of the horse and gives him a little bit of tough love. See, Paul was very cocky and arrogant, and he needed to be kind of put in his place. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus did that, yet through love. The woman caught in the act of adultery... The religious leaders bring this woman out um, in front of him. And they say, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. The Bible says we should stone her. What do you think? And he doesn't say anything. He literally just keeps his mouth shut. That's all he did. We don't see a big miracle from him there. We just see him being quiet. But in that moment, that woman didn't need him to say a lot. She needed him to be quiet. Because he could have easily said, just kill her. That's the rules. And he sits there for a couple minutes and he, you know, he puts his finger in the sand and he's drawing or we, we have no idea what he wrote. And people will always try to speculate on it. They think, I think he was writing the sins of the, the Pharisees. And I'm like, oh, he was probably just doodling. Like, who? Nobody knows. Like, why, why? It doesn't matter. You know, the fact that it's not there shows us that it doesn't really matter. But he, he just says, ah, it doesn't matter. You know what? And then he says, you know what? The one of you that doesn't have any sin in his life, you go ahead and throw the first stone. So he says, you can kill her, but do it right. And they couldn't do it. And that's all he said. And so sometimes there's these times in our life where Jesus comes and he sees the need that we have in a moment. The last one is with Zacchaeus. And he invited himself over for dinner. That's all he did. So we're going to read that story in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked at up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to the guest of a, be the guest of a sinner. Now before we read the last two verses of this, we, we have to put it into context of who Zacchaeus was. So we know a couple things about him. We know that he was short, and we know that he was a tax collector. Um. Tax collectors in, in that day were hated far more than any of you could ever dislike the IRS um, because they literally had no rules. So they could say, okay, you owe me $1,000 for your taxes, so let's call it 1200 and we'll make it even. But you just said I owed you 1000 Yeah, you do, but let's call it 1200 and you'll make it even. So you'd have to pay out the 1200 bucks, and they just pocketed that. So... When he was wealthy, this wealth was not obtained in a, a, an up way. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't good. He did it literally by just robbing people and getting away with it. He didn't have to hide behind anybody. He was just able to do it. So he was not like, so when they say, he's gone to the guest of a sinner's house, they're gone. I'm like, 
They've, he's gone to that jerk-faced Zacchaeus house. Why would he do that? That guy's a, you know, he's mean. He steals from us. He's evil. He's bad. They hated this guy. You know, I imagine that because he was short, wealthy, he might have had a little bit of that short guy stuff. He was like ready to like fight anyone, take all their money. He was going to show them who's boss. And yet Jesus says, come on, I need to have dinner. I'm hungry, man. Let's go over to your house. So they have dinner, assumedly, and this is what he says. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because of this man, too, the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus needed hope. He had everything on one hand, but he had nothing at the same time. And he really probably didn't know how to get it. He hears of this guy and he has a problem. He can't see him. Now, if any of you have ever been over to my mom's house, her cabinets stand about this tall. And for me, I'm always like, come on, take your shoes off, please. So this is mom. She's pretty short. My Mima is over there, and she's even shorter. So we had to build, my dad built her out of love, special cabinets that, you know, because she can't do the tall ones. And she always says she loves having tall children, or my wife is over six foot, so she's like, you know, Steph's like, mom's like, oh my gosh, how did you do that? It's amazing, a miracle. Zacchaeus needed that, though. He, he, he just, he had a need. And Jesus so perfectly met it. And because of Jesus being willing to take the time out of his day to go have dinner with somebody, salvation is brought to that man. He corrects the wrongs that have been made in his life towards others. And he becomes rather, you know, generous, giving away half of what he has to the, to the poor. And I think that, you know, there's these times where we, we sit here and we might not have a need, or we might have a need, and maybe sometimes it's really big, and sometimes it's minimal. And maybe there's somebody around you that has a need that you can meet. I, I was just telling my dad this morning, I am more than happy to give away my money. I hate giving away my time. I do not like to volunteer on things. I do not, nope, I will write you a check. Pay somebody else to do it. I don't want to, I don't want to do it. But something that the Lord's been really convicting me of is, Adam, that's really not a good attitude. And, you know, the Bible says that Jesus came to become a servant of the world. And so I've been trying to look for ways or people around me that maybe just need a little bit of my time now, I can't guarantee that I'm going to be this champion of hope for them, but at least I'm trying to put in the steps to, to make that more a part of my life. And so kind of the, the final thought for today that we're going to start diving into and really pick this apart on, on real application for our, our own lives 
is hope applied. Because, you know, see, as, at times, it's really easy for us to say this person can do this or this person can do that. But there are people all around us that are um, hurting. And there are people all around us that have need for hope in their lives. And, and it's a God-shaped hope, and they might not even know that. And maybe you're sitting here for the first time, or maybe you're just starting school for the first time, and you're all excited about what you got going on, and just realize that you can be an agent of hope. You don't have to be done with school. You don't have to be, uh, have a family. You don't have to do anything. You just have to be willing I have seen more lives changed in this building through people, through my friends, through family members that really don't have everything together, but they're just willing to do something in a moment. And they're willing to pray for people that when they might not know what to pray, but they're willing to go try. And God uses imperfect people to do amazing things because that's why he came. He came so that we can participate with him in relationship to be the agents of hope, to be these, this change that people need. You see, that's the beauty of, of God the Father is that he desperately cares for relationship with us. And relationship for him is not just us praying to him and worshiping him, but it's actually participating in life with him. Just as you have relationship within this community, and as if you are new here, you'll find that Water's Edge, although it's not a perfect church, which there is no such thing, you will be made to feel like family. That is one of the gifts that this church has, is they can make people feel like family. You will be brought in and accepted in love, and this is a place where you can grow and experience God in a real way. You see, the world around us, whether it be on the campus of Northern Michigan University or in the jobs that you will hold while you're here, the jobs that you will hold as you go into adulthood, the jobs that you currently have as an adult, the world's in desperate need of it, and hope is right here. With 150 plus or minus people, hope is right here in all of us. If you have never experienced this hope. I want to tell you it is the best thing that you will ever do with your life. It is real. It is authentic. Romans 15.13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like my dad was saying, maybe you've never experienced worship in a way that it happened today, or maybe that you've never um, been a part of a group that prays over each other like we did earlier. You see, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes, it does provide hope. Um, I'll never forget, I had a coworker several years ago when I, when I still lived up here. Um, the dude was probably about 6'3", 310 pounds. 
He had a skull tattoo on his skull. I mean, he was a hard dude. He was awesome. He was a good friend. And I'll never forget him coming and sitting in the back there and just crying through worship because there was something that he had never experienced before. And it was just all of a sudden like, oh my goodness, it was so real. You know, that, that power, that hope that overflowed him. I've, I've seen grown men cry in, in this church when little girls pray over them and break because the Holy Spirit is overflowing from them into those people. And God is, is very, very real in those situations. But the thing is that in order for that to happen so that we can overflow this and have an abundance of it, you have to be willing. You make the choice, and it is one of the most important choices you will ever make in your life. What college you go to might not matter. What jobs you take, really, although we think they matter tons, they don't always. What house you live in, it doesn't matter. But what you choose to do with what the Lord asks you to do, that matters a lot. That's really important. I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life. And I've made some really good ones too. But no decisions have been more important or more harmful than when I chose to deny the word of the Lord. And I chose to ignore the things that I knew God had asked me to do. And no decisions have been more rewarding than when I did what I knew the Lord had asked me to do. My senior year of college, um, I was in Bible school um, many years ago, seems like. Um, I, I was in a class called Pastoral Theology too, which was really just a fancy way of saying we were going to go through different roles that a pastor plays. So we discussed things like weddings and counseling and you know, marriage and all these things. And, and funerals was the one that I got. And I chose it intentionally because at that time I'd already performed a couple of funerals, so I thought this will be a walk in the park. Easy, easy to give a presentation on. I've already done it. And I got paired with a guy named Joey Mayer. Meyer, excuse me. Joey Meyer. And Joey had an incredibly interesting perspective on funerals. Um, the year before this class took place, on the way to his wife's bachelorette party, all three of his sisters were killed in a car accident. And they were supposed to be standing in the wedding, like that was going to happen just a week later. And they were like uh, a freshman in college, a senior in high school, and I think a, a freshman in high school. And they were all killed instantly. And... You know, how, how do you even go on? And they, they had the, the wedding uh, a few days later. They decided, you know, as a family that that would be what the girls all wanted. Um, the pictures were horribly sad because they had all three of the girls' dresses draped on the stage. And then they promptly had three funerals. And the thing that was amazing about Joey and his family is that even in the midst of this unspeakable tragedy or something that is almost uncomprehendable is that they saw it as an opportunity 
to share the hope that they had in Jesus. And at the funeral of the girls, there were about 150 people that came forward to commit their lives to the Lord on that day. And then his parents started traveling around and sharing this story and sharing what God had done in their lives and how God was their hope and their foundation and the rock on which they stood. And I don't want to ever make it seem that hope is only evident in the midst of tragedy. But hope is often most evident in the midst of tragedy because that's when it's the most exposed. That's when we're at our lowest. That's when we're in the most need of hope, and that's when it often comes through. But hope is very much real today. Even if everything in your life is going perfect, hope is a part of your life. It is something that you have the ability to to take into the world around you and present it with. I don't want you to ever walk out of this room today and not have had the opportunity to experience this. If you haven't, if you've never asked the Lord to come into your life, if you've never experienced this hope, or maybe you've known the Lord, but you've never known this hope, because that happens too. I want to pray over you. I want... um, I want you to have this because it really is life-changing. It can impact and influence the world around us. If you think about it, the disciples started with 12. And when Jesus was put on a cross, he raises himself from the dead a few days later, or was raised by the Holy Spirit. He is, hangs around for a while, and then he ascends into heaven, and he's like, I'm gone. And the Christians of that day, they are left in total chaos. I mean, one of the leaders just killed himself. Uh, Another one just denied that Jesus is anybody. You know, I mean, their, their numbers are looking slim. And even, you know, we don't see, you you hear the miracles when Jesus is around, 5,000 people are here and thousands here. And, And when it comes down to it, there was like 100 people in a room. That was it. That's who decided to show up for the post-Jesus prayer meeting. And yet those people influenced and changed the world by presenting something that people were desperate need of, and that was quite simply hope. The Bible in Acts says that their numbers were added to daily. Every day in the world that they lived in, they gave hope. And we can look at the stories like Peter walking down the street. He's going to church. Someone says, I need some money. I'm crippled. I, I can't do anything. I need this to survive. He says, I don't have money. I have Jesus. And he presents a miracle to the guy because that's what the guy needed. He addressed the need. Even if you're at a place right now that you feel like things are good, what I would encourage you to start doing is when you meet new people or when you go into situations that are troublesome, pray, God, what is the need? For this place? What is the need for this person that I'm speaking with? How can I speak over them? And they might not even realize that you're speaking Jesus 
over them. But you have the power to overflow this hope that we experience and change the atmosphere around us. I believe that the worship team comes up so they can come up now. Um, there are definitely people in this church that are gifted in prayer. And like I said, if, if you've never experienced that, um, I would love to pray with you. Uh, obviously, my dad or um, I'll just ask that people that pray and want to pray with others that they would come up front. So that's how people know, especially with so many new faces. That's how they know that you're available. And, and don't wait until tomorrow because tomorrow's not promised. Today is, though, right now, in this moment, at least for the next few seconds. You've got it. Father God, thank you so much for the hope that only you can give. God, thank you for being real and being something that, although we might not see, that we can very definitely experience. God, I pray that we wouldn't go through life with our heads low, but that we'd go through carrying our shoulders high and our head high because we simply have experienced hope that is living and real in our lives. God, that we wouldn't depress the world around us, but that we would bring joy and peace to them through you. God, none of this is possible without you, and so we give you all the credit and all the glory. We know, God, that you use imperfect people to do incredible things, and we thank you for that. I pray that the hope would be very much applied in our lives, God, that it would be something that we cling to in the midst of tragedy, that we would know that you are real and evident. And God, in the greatest times of our life, that we would know that you are real and evident. That we wouldn't only go to you when we need hope, but that we would be ambassadors of hope as it overflows from our, from our beings, from our cores, from our spirit, God. You changed the world so that we could be used by you. And you put yourself on a cross for that very reason, God, and I thank you immensely for that. I pray that as we go out, God, that into our workforces, into our schools, into wherever it might be, God, that you would let us remember that we can deliver good news to good people and that God just simply loves people and that he desperately wants a relationship with them and that, that we can help that dream be accomplished. Thank you for these things, Lord.